Human violence operates far outside the bounds of any other species. Human beings will kill anything. We kill other species for sport. We kill for trophies. And we kill to eat. Slaughter is a defining behavior of our species. We not only kill all other creatures, but we also kill our own. We kill strangers and friends, family and foe. We kill for vengeance and for gain, and we even kill ourselves. But the scariest humans on earth kill for sheer pleasure. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing America's first known family of serial killers, the Bloody Benders. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. My father, James Boyd Armstrong, was born in Aurora, Lawrence County, Missouri, on February 12, 1846. It was a cold day, with more than a foot of snow on the ground, as he retells the story as told to him by his mother. He enlisted in the Civil War when he was 16 years of age, belonging to Company B, 16th Regiment, Missouri Volunteers. He served for three years and received an honorable discharge. He was only 16 when he left, but he was a well-aged grown man by then. My father, being a hard-working man, then spent a year working at the Aurora, Missouri Foundry and Machine Works. Elizabeth Ellen Bradley was my mother's name before she became Elizabeth Armstrong. She met my father at church on a bright Sunday morning. He took a shine to her, no pun intended, and asked her father for permission to court her. My mama and my pa were married a year later, and the year after that, I joined the family. My name is Emily Elizabeth Armstrong and I was four years old during the fall of 1871 when my family packed up and headed west across the Osage Trail. President Abraham Lincoln had promised land to anyone who agreed to farm it. It was a way to help settle the west and spur economic growth. Pa saw the opportunity for what it was, a chance to own his own farm, and the only price was hard work, which he wasn't scared of one bit. It was mid-November when we crossed the Missouri border into Kansas in our covered wagon. We had two horses pulling the wagon that was packed with what furniture and personal belongings would fit into it. 
Winter decided to come early that year, and we were running low on supplies. Mama was sick most of the time, and I'm pretty sure it was because she was carrying my baby brother or sister, who would join us in the spring. They didn't know I had heard them whispering about it when they thought I was asleep. Paul was looking for a warm place to rest for the night when he saw a sign on the side of the road. It was just an old plank of wood nailed to a fence post with an arrow that read groceries, bed, and hot food. We followed that sign, and it wasn't too long before we were going through a little grove full of trees. They seemed to be fruit trees planted in rows. At the end of the grove sat a little house. It was getting dark and the tiny windows were lit up, promising warmth inside. She must have heard the wagon clanking along the road because the door swung open and a woman stepped out to greet us. She had one of those scary old faces that looked like she had seen too many hot summers and too many cold winters. She talked funny too. I hid behind Mama while Pa introduced himself. I could hear them talking and when they were done, Pa came back to help us down from the wagon. I am not sure what it was about that place that had me scared, but I knew that something evil lurked behind the door. Bleeding Kansas is what many called the state during the 19th century, especially before the Civil War as anti-slavery forces known as Free Soilers and pro-slavery forces fought for control of the new territory. After Kansas declared itself with the Union and the Civil War began to rage, the bloody battles continued. Once the Civil War was over and the pioneers began to head westward along the many trails through Kansas, murder and mayhem was rampant. As hardened men from the battlefields had grown used to the violence, they continued their violent ways along the Overland trails and in many cow towns. Almost everyone has heard of Dodge City and its rowdy reputation, the deadly gunfight of the Dalton Gang in Coffeyville, and the endless number of outlaws and gunfighters who spent time in the Sunflower State. But few are aware of the family of mass murderers who were living a supposed quiet life near the small town of Cherryvale. Following the Civil War, the United States entered a period of Reconstruction during which the Homestead Act was passed. This act gave citizens and those who had applied for citizenship up to 160 acres of land to build and own a farm. After five years and a small registration fee, the land became theirs to do whatever they pleased, no strings attached. One of the purposes of the act was to continue expansion westward in the United States and improve on the lands that had been widely affected by the battles of Civil War. Though the act gained far more traction in the 1900s, several families took up the offer in the late 1800s. One such family was the Bender family, who in late 1870, along with four other families, joined together to acquire land in Lebec County, Kansas. John and Elvira Bender and their adult children, Kate and John Jr., arrived by wagon in Lebec County, Kansas and built a cabin that served as their personal living quarters, as well as a store that sold goods to travelers who were passing through the area, 
and an inn that provided lodging to people who were heading out west. The Bender family lived along the Osage Trail, which was a very popular route with travelers. Lots of people stopped at their cabin on their journey. Sadly, many who stopped there never left. The Benders were spiritualists who believed they could communicate with the dead, and Kate Bender claimed to be a skilled psychic and healer, which along with their store and inn, attracted several visitors to their home on the Osage Trail. Unfortunately, few travelers realized the danger posed by the seemingly harmless family of four, and many of the people who set foot inside the cabin were never seen alive again. John Bender, 60, and Elvira Bender, 55, often called just Ma Bender, were thought to be German immigrants, but no actual proof of this was ever found. Nonetheless, except for Kate, the family spoke with an accent. John Sr. and Elvira were also thought to not understand much English. The over six-foot-tall bearded John Sr. often spoke in a guttural accent and was described as a wild and woolly-looking man. Those who feared talking to John Sr. made the mistake of speaking with Ma Bender, who was later described as a she-devil for her temper and unfriendliness towards all. In contrast to the parents, John Jr. and Kate were described as friendly and attractive, though John Jr. would often burst into random fits of laughter for no apparent reason and was called a halfwit because of this. Kate was said to be the most social and open-minded of the family. She often spoke of free love and even gave lectures at the local school in Osage Township. Being that it was the height of the spiritualism movement, where many believed it was possible to communicate with spirits through seances, it was no surprise that Kate would present herself and her mother as powerful psychics and healers. She passed out pamphlets to people in town to earn more money and to gain trust. When they arrived in Labette County, the Benders did not only want to build a farm, but they also wanted to make extra money by turning their small cabin into a general store where they could sell items a traveler may need along the way. For this reason, they chose a spot along the Osage Trail where other travelers looking to make their way west would have to pass by. In addition to their home, they dug a well, built a barn, and set up a small apple orchard on their land. In late 1871, they put up a canvas wagon cover to separate the back half of their cabin with the front half to create their general store, and they finally opened for business. A crude sign was hung above the front door that advertised groceries to the many travelers along the Osage Trail. The little store carried a few supplies, such as groceries, liquor, and tobacco. It wasn't long before they saw another opportunity to make extra money by charging weary travelers for a warm meal and a small bed to sleep on at the front of the cabin, but many would never make it past the warm meal alive. Whether by the idea of a warm bed and a hot meal and the need for supplies, it wouldn't be long before weary travelers had to pass by the Bender homestead. Once inside the cabin, 
The traveler would be offered a warm meal and seated at the head of the table. Unknown to them, their seat was positioned above a trap door. The number of missing travelers didn't raise any alarms at first since the trails out west were full of dangers. Run-ins with bandits, Native Americans, and other travelers, not to mention the dangers of the terrain, were known to cause injuries and even death. The benders confidently continued their murderous spree because to them it appeared that nothing could stop them. History is proof that many people went missing when heading out west for one reason or another, but family and friends who tried to find them were starting to notice a pattern. The number of people going missing when entering Kansas was a lot higher than anywhere else. In late 1872, George Longcore of Independence, Kansas, was preparing to take his 18-month-old daughter Marianne to Missouri to be close to his family. He had lost his wife shortly after his daughter's birth. Before leaving, he purchased several horses from his neighbor and good friend, Dr. William Henry York, to pack up their things and move. Dr. York requested George to ride him to ensure a safe passage as rumors of killers along the Osage Trail were beginning to grow. George agreed to do so and he set off with his daughter. Unfortunately, Dr. York would never receive any letters. By early 1873, Dr. York was now certain something bad had happened to George and his daughter along the trail and set off to search for them. York questioned many of the families living along the trail and after finding one dead end after another, on March 9th, he decided to call it quits and head back to his home in Independence. Dr. York also never made it home. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Dr. York had a powerful brother, U.S. Senator Colonel Alexander York. When Colonel York learned that his brother was missing, he gathered a crew of 50 men to search for him. The number of known missing travelers who had disappeared along or near the Osage Trail was 10 in total at this point. 
People in the Osage Township were beginning to wonder if maybe there was a serial killer living amongst them. There were many others who banded together to search for the criminals responsible and to dish out their own justice. It was chaos in the community as numerous innocent people were arrested and ran out of town. Other suspects were beaten or tortured for information. Colonel York's men were feared, as well as vigilante groups, but York refused to make an official arrest without concrete evidence. At the end of March, York's group arrived at the Bender homestead, first meeting with Ma Bender, whose lack of proficiency in English made it impossible for her to answer questions. Kate eventually made an appearance and informed the colonel that they had seen his brother many weeks earlier. She said that he had left and even suggested that he had been killed by Native Americans on the trail. Believing the lie, Colonel York went back to town. His mind was changed when he heard a story of a woman with bleeding feet who ran from the Bender home just weeks earlier after being threatened by Ma Bender. Suspicious, he gathered up his men and returned to the Bender home, where he questioned Ma Bender about the woman. This time, instead of pretending to not understand, Ma Bender flew into a rage calling the woman a witch who cursed her, revealing that Ma Bender knew more English than she had let on. Colonel York strongly suspected the Benders of being involved in some way with his brother's disappearance along with the other missing travelers. But he didn't have any evidence and chose to leave the home again. The surrounding communities were beginning to put pressure on the Osage Township to find out what was happening to the travelers who had disappeared while passing through. Holding a meeting at the Harmony Grove School to discuss the issue with 75 members in attendance including Colonel York, John Bender Sr. and John Jr. all agreed to obtain search warrants for every homestead along the Osage Trail. Several days after the town meeting, a man by the name of Billy Toll passed by the Bender farm and noticed that several of the farm animals appeared to be starving. The Benders were nowhere in sight. Toll, fearing that whoever was attacking travelers may have also attacked the Benders, rushed to town and rang the alarms. Over a hundred people, including Colonel York and his men, descended on the farm, some searching for the Benders, but others looking to confirm their suspicions. It wasn't long until these suspicions were confirmed. Upon entering the cabin, they found their first grisly clue. A pungent smell filled the room. The family had cleared the room of food and personal belongings, so the trap door was easy to find. The group found the door just beneath the head of the table and nailed shut. Prying it open, they found the source of the smell, rancid, coagulated blood that had seeped into the soil beneath the home. The men brought in sledgehammers and broke through the concrete slabs that were covering parts of the ground, expecting to find bodies, but after hours of searching, none were found. Next, the group searched the soil underneath the apple orchard and garden. 
There, covered in a thin layer of soil, they discovered multiple bodies. The first body was identified as that of Dr. Henry York. The next bodies found were George Longcore and his 18-month-old daughter. There were eight more bodies, mostly men, but one woman and another child were also found. Within a few days, the body count was up to 11, not counting the various body parts of other bodies, proving there were more out there. The final count is that the benders killed 20 or more people, with 11 confirmed. The motives for the killings was terrifying, because the benders appeared to kill for fun. There were rumors that Kate's lectures talked about the righteousness of murder and advocated that murder was brave and noble. The adults were all killed by a blow to the head and cut throats, but the children's bodies displayed no injuries, leading searchers to believe that they were buried alive. The Bender land where the bodies were found would become known as the Devil's Half Acre. Soon bounties were placed, and rewards were offered for the Bender family. Mobs were formed. Kidnapping one of the neighbors and friend of the Benders, they tortured him until he was unconscious. Other neighbors were threatened with hanging if they were caught withholding information about the Benders. During a three-day period, 20 people were arrested and presumably questioned and even tortured yet they were nowhere near finding the benders. Later, miles away, a carriage and starving horses belonging to the benders was found abandoned outside the city of Thayer, Kansas. This led detectives to discover that the family had purchased train tickets and had eventually split up, with John Jr. and Kate heading towards an outlaw colony in Texas and the parents heading further north. One of the biggest mysteries that the Bender family left was where did the corpses go? Eleven bodies were found whole, but there were many of whom they only found pieces. Were their bodies used for rituals and potions, or did they end up as the main course for the next victims? We will never know, because not one of the Benders were ever found. But somewhere out there are their descendants, and they may be carrying on Ma and Pa Bender's legacy. I was only four years old, so my memory could be a little off, but this is how I remember that terrifying night. After helping me and Mama down from the wagon, Pa asked the lady who introduced herself as Ma Bender to show us inside. Still hanging on to the back of my mama's dress, I hesitantly followed her inside. The old lady, Ma Bender, offered Mama a chair, and with a quick thank you, Mama sat down and pulled me onto her lap. I remember clearly that the place stunk so bad that I covered my nose and Mama swatted my hand away and told me not to be rude. The room we were seated in was a crude kitchen and dining area, 
There was a fireplace with a homemade stove, not the new kind like we had back at our old house. But there were also two cots lining the far end of the room. Ma Bender was making small talk with Mama when two other people entered the cabin, a very pretty young woman and a man about the same age who looked like he needed a bath. Ma Bender introduced them as her son and daughter, Kate and John. Kate sat down next to me and Mama and smiled at me real big. She tried to get me to talk to her, but I just hid my face in Mama's sleeve. She had an apron on, and to butter me up, she reached into the pocket and pulled out a shiny red apple. I peeked up just long enough to see the gift she was offering, and after grabbing the apple, I quickly buried my face right back in Mama's sleeve. Pa came in after feeding the horses, and that made me feel safer. Ma Bender made introductions, and Pa courteously shook Kate and John's hands. Kate looked at my paw real funny, and I did not like it one bit. Soon enough, it was time to clean up, and that is when the scariest-looking member of the Bender family showed up. The door swung open so hard that I about jumped out of my skin. Pa Bender was wrinkled, dirty, and only had a few scraggly hairs on top of his head, and probably just as many teeth. He didn't smile or say hello when Pa introduced himself. He just grunted and sat down at the table. He didn't even wash up. Ma Bender insisted that Pa take the seat at the head of the table since we were guests. After everyone was situated, Kate passed out bowls and Ma Bender followed her around the table with a pot and a ladle scooping soup for each of us. I looked down into my bowl and made a gagging sound, which earned me a good hard pinch under the table from Mama. The soup had chunks of meat and potatoes with a smattering of corn here and there. I remember thinking, no wonder the place stunk, if this is what they ate. I tried to take a bite, but it was slimy. I decided that pretending to eat and claiming to have a tummy ache was the best bet. My sick act worked, and after the table was cleared, Ma Bender took me and Mama around the curtain and showed us to a bed where we could get some rest. The mattress was laying on the floor, but it was much softer than the wagon bed or the ground, so for this one thing I was grateful. Pa stayed up longer to have some red eye, a drink that I was too young to know was whiskey. I could hear them talking about the prices of the feed, the mill, and the bedding. I could hear Pa counting the coins as I was drifting off to sleep. The nightmare began when I woke to a loud thump. Mama jumped too and sprung out of bed to see what had happened. I was right on her skirt tails, and just as I grabbed a hold of her, she let out a blood-curdling scream. The scene was hard to comprehend at such a young age, but I remember it clearly. My paw was laying in the floor with a puddle of blood around his head. Pa Bender was standing over him, holding a hammer, and Ma Bender was kneeled next to him, 
with a knife to his throat. She looked up at Mama and I swear her eyes were black. She cackled as she looked at Mama's face and told her, You can scream all you want, honey, but no one will hear you out here. You might as well take that little one and say your goodbyes because you're next. Mama was stunned. I don't think she knew whether to grab me and run or attack the crazy people that were trying to kill Pa. I know she couldn't do both. So she did what any mother would do. She scooped me up into her arms and ran for the door. Kate and John had been sitting at the table watching the whole thing play out, giggling like it was all fun and games to them. When Mama tried to make a run for it, Kate jumped in front of the door while John tackled Mama so hard that I flew out of her arms and banged my head on the table. The bang on the head must have been hard because that is the last thing I remember before waking up in the dark. It took a few minutes for my eyes to focus. We were laying on dirt. Mama was laying about a foot away from me with her head on Pa's chest. They both seemed to be sleeping. I was scared, but I couldn't remember why. I heard noises coming from above me, and when I looked up, I could see cracks in the ceiling. I was trying to see between the cracks when dirt fell through and got into my eyes. Rubbing my eyes, they began to burn, and the more I rubbed, the worse it got. Finally, I began to cry. Someone stomped on the ceiling above me, raining more dirt down on my head. Shut up, you little brat! I heard barked from above. I was gearing up for a full-scale meltdown when I felt Mama begin to move beside me. Rubbing the dirt turned mud from my eyes the best I could. I found her face in the dark and I crawled over and curled up beside her. I remember feeling relieved when her arm wrapped around me. Hush, baby girl. Mama is here. I calmed down until only the hiccups were left and Mama rubbed my cheeks as she told me what to do. We are going to play a game. We are going to pretend to be asleep. I need you to be very quiet because if we get caught, we lose the game and we don't want to lose. I nodded, still scared, but if Mama wanted to play a game, then things couldn't be that bad. We only had to pretend to be asleep for a few minutes before the ceiling opened up and John Jr. climbed down into the hole. He shoved me and Mama off paw and started pulling him up through the hole. One of Pa's boots got hung so John yanked hard. When he did, the boot fell off and almost hit me in the head. Mama was whimpering, but only I could hear her. I thought maybe she was crying. Pa disappeared through that hole, and quickly, a door slammed shut and the hole was gone. I could feel Mama's tears now. They were soaking into my hair and tickling my scalp. Is Pa playing the game too, Mama? I remember asking her. She didn't answer. I tugged on the waist of her dress. 
Mama. Yes, baby. He was playing the game. But he got caught, so he lost. Now we must get away before they catch us, too. But you have to stay very quiet. Okay, Mama. I heard Mama take a deep breath and she gently pushed me aside so that she could roll over. I hadn't realized until that moment that even though I could sit up, the space was so small that Mama could barely crawl without her back touching the ceiling. The sun must have begun to rise outside because I was beginning to see light through hundreds of tiny holes and cracks all around me. We crawled side by side until we found a tiny door. Mama tried opening it, but it was locked. I thought she was going to start crying again, but she didn't. She took another one of those deep breaths that she always took when she was determined to do something. Rolling onto her side, she looked at me and placed her hands on my shoulders. Emily Elizabeth, I need you to do exactly what I say. Yes, ma'am. I am going to kick this door open, and when I tell you to, you crawl out. When you get out, you run. Don't stop. Don't look back. Just keep running. No matter what you hear, keep going. I will find you. I nodded in agreement and watched as Mama awkwardly spun her body around and placed her feet on the tiny door. It occurred to me at that moment that it was a good thing Mama had wanted to sleep with our shoes on earlier, otherwise she might hurt her feet. I was surprised when Mama sent the door flying off its hinges on the first kick. She almost knocked me over when she spun back around to stick her head out and look around. She then looked back at me and reached for my hand. I crawled forward on my knees and was about to crawl out when Mama stopped me. She looked into my eyes, and I knew then how serious she was. I think I had known all along. Remember what I said. Run as fast as you can. Don't stop and don't look back. I love you, Emily Elizabeth Armstrong. And with a kiss on my cheek, she shoved me through the tiny door. The sun peeking over the horizon hurt my eyes but I only had seconds for them to adjust before I heard another door swing open. I could hear the panic in Mama's voice when I heard her screaming, Run, Emily, run now! I took off as fast as my little feet could go. I ran towards the sun. I ran until I couldn't run anymore. Sitting down on a rock by a little creek, I waited for Mama to find me but she never did. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave us an honest review on iTunes too to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. 
Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Tune in next week as we talk about the malevolent, shape-shifting water horse of Scottish folklore, the Kelpie. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.